0: Labelling's adverse effect on children, mindfulness triggering past traumas, Bond University catering to new heterogeneous cohort. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Talking Eds, APN Educational Media's weekly review podcast, comprising the team behind Early Learning Review, Education Review and Campus Review. I'm Patrick Avenal and I'm the news editor for these sites. I'm joined as always by Lauren Smith from Early Learning Review, hi Lauren.
1: Hi Patrick, it's been a while.
0: It has been a while but it's great to be here. We've been just getting all our uh, website ducks in a row so that we can chat about uh, all the big stories that are happening. All students back at classes, kids at preschool. It's an exciting time. Government arguing about it. It's all happening.
1: It's a great time to be alive.
0: It is. It's a great time to be a preschooler. And James is also here. James is the editor of Education Review and Campus Review. James Wells.
2: Hi. Hi. How are you?
0: I'm very well, thank you. And uh, what's happening in the world of uh, high school and uh, university at the moment? I think you just summed it up. <laughs> the government fighting, yep. kids trying to learn, yep. teachers just, already frustrated, it's, it's only just, March. I think it's the same every year. It is <laughs> the same every year. Well, part one, first off in today's uh, education rap is labelling, which is the process of distilling an individual's gestalt down to one word or phrase. Lauren, what are some examples of labelling and why is it causing consternation in child psychotherapist circles?
1: So, labelling is any term used to describe a child's personality or even their mental health and well-being. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad word. For example, you can call a child bookish or sporty or, on the flip side, you can say, oh, they seem a bit aspy, even though that's probably a derogatory way of putting it. But, or you could say, oh, they're defiant and um, the reason that this is irking a particular child psychotherapist called Ruth Glover is because she says this can impact their self-esteem and it can do this in two ways the first way is that if you tell them that they're good at a certain thing then if they fall short of living up to that then they'll obviously feel bad about themselves And the second way is that it can pigeonhole them into just being that one thing uh, to the exclusion of other aspects of their personality. It
0: was interesting, those four examples that you gave, because they're how I describe myself on online dating profiles, bookish and sporting, aspie. uh, One of the things about uh, labelling that I find intriguing is that it sort of fits into our our society's current need to sort of... uh, reduce everything, to be reductive. We find it hard sometimes to have large, unwieldy things that sort of exist uh, with lots of different valences. Uh, do you think that uh, preschool and early early student development would be enhanced if we sort of moved away from that completely and just sort of let kids be lots of different things?
1: I think absolutely, but as uh, this psychotherapist pointed out, as well as a preschool teacher I spoke to, it's time-consuming to not be reductive, mm-hmm. so um, sometimes, although you may inaccurately label a, a child or even misdiagnose them, um, it's just too hard with the student-to-teacher ratios to actually be more open-minded.
2: Mm. James, where do you, where do you sit on this? Well, then, how would you? What, would you, what words would you use to describe kids then? Are they multiple? Would you say they're bookish, What yet sporty? Or like when you're trying to praise a child, what, what would you say to them?
1: Well, actually, um, this particular psychotherapist says that you shouldn't actually praise them directly. You should say that, um, for example, in the case of bookish, you could say, oh, um, I've noticed that you enjoy reading instead of saying you're good at it. And I personally think that goes a little too far because I think praise can be important um but that's her recommendation
2: wouldn't that response possibly trigger in the child maybe they a a realization they don't maybe they don't enjoy reading that much or something like that so you can get to know the child a bit more
1: i think we could go down that rabbit hole yes (laughs) potentially but um in her professional opinion that's the best way to go about it
0: i think that uh one of the big problems with labeling is that it sort of mixes uh, actual medical diagnoses and then conflates it with sort of pop psychology. So if you have, a, if you have a, uh, a youngster that a doctor is actually diagnosed with having ADHD for example which you know is treated with medication that sometimes you know that that's fine I think you know that, that child has ADHD it's a diagnosis we're treating it and then when you have like a, a label like schizo or hyper. That can sort of be very. That can be very negative connotations because that can mean you know, here's a person that, we're going to associate with all the negative aspects of an actual uh, illness, and but we're not going to actually have that person diagnosed or treated. They're just we're just going to give them all the bad attributes and cancel out anything that's good about that person.
1: And I will note as well that um, often parents label their own children. It's not so much the teacher; it's the parent who, mm. is perhaps. Um, misled or um, just I don't know, misinformed.
0: Yeah, I, I picked up like I picked up like labels about like nerdy and geeky when I was very young, and then I just spent my entire education trying to live up to them and just always underperforming. So I would have liked it if there were these discussions when I was a kid.
1: Mm-hmm. I would say you probably overperformed, but
0: no. Anyway. The, the The label I should have got was lazy. Part two, James. You mentioned triggering earlier, and we're going to chat about that now at length. So before we get stuck into it, quickly give us an overview of what triggering
2: is. Well, it's when something you hear, see, or a scent—something you hear, see, smells—triggers past trauma. So you might have been through um, sexually abused as a child. You might read something in a book and it was similar to your experience, and then your brain releases that information, floods you, and and you relive your trauma. One
0: of the a common sort of film example of this you often see played out is, you know, a war veteran might hear a helicopter's rotors spinning back in the, back in the homeland. And that will remind them of the horrors of war. Now that I think everyone sort of, it can empathize with a soldier that's come back from war being affected. But now that sort of experience of trauma has sort of, uh, it's transmuted its way into everyday life. It doesn't necessarily have to be as horrific as war. Now, you spoke this week to Dr. Lee Burroughs who posits that mindfulness can trigger past trauma in primary, high, and university age students. All right, another definition. What is mindfulness?
2: Mindfulness, is a, it's essentially, it's achieved through meditation. So it's a meditation program where you focus on the present moment, and what it's aimed to do is basically calm you down and, and minimize your worries.
0: Can you, can I get an example of what you might like say to yourself if you're feeling worried or anxious or how would you be mindful?
2: Well, well, you you would sit down on your yoga mat, start meditating, focus on your breathing, focus on the parts of your body where you keep your emotion and then expunge those worries from you through mindfulness. And what does Dr. Burroughs have to say about this? Well, she says... Well, she says that it is a good thing. It just needs to be done properly. It shouldn't be done by an inexperienced teacher who doesn't know what they're doing in the classroom because it tr- can trigger emotional flooding. In her example, she pointed to a university student who was a returned soldier from Afghanistan who had PTSD. And her, his lecturer wanted to go on ahead with the mindfulness program, but he... It, it, it triggered him, and he refused, and she didn't understand why that he didn't want to do it. Um... She, she's given a few um, safeguards for what, mind, for what teachers who want to use mindfulness in the cl- classroom should, hap, should, should, um, should adhere to. Um, the first one is have at least three years' experience in practising mindfulness. Take students' vulnerabilities and past experiences into consideration and find out what these are. Don't make these mindfulness programs compulsory. Recognise that mindfulness can prompt a unique response in individuals. Seek feedback from students to guide any changes to the program you might have and point students to... Proper counselling and therapy when needed, and that's essentially what she what she's calling for.
0: Well, What's your take on this? I agree with her. You agree <laughs> that? That's going to make for a boring podcast. <laughs> is this just not more of the same coddling? I mean, how traumatic are the experiences of these kids? That I think post traumatic stress
2: <laughs> disorder is pretty traumatic. Patrick, but primary school kids. How many of them? Uh... What, if, what if one of your children's been sexually abused in the past? And but why would
1: that be raised in primary school?
2: But if, if there's a mindfulness program going on in primary school and you trigger the kid, bloody hell. I I think would, it's, how
1: would the mindfulness trigger a memory of sexual abuse?
0: That's, yeah, that's the link that I can't draw either. It's, it, it's, it's focusing on
2: your emotions and your past experience.
0: I think we've triggered James here. <laughs> so what you're saying is that during a mindfulness session, you will be asked to think about the past? or
2: Well, but no, you're, you're, you're asked to empty your mind and just focus on the present, whatever thoughts come into your head at the time. At, at certain times that can be trauma oh okay. Indeed, yes <laughs>
0: I, d- I just feel as though if you've got that trauma, if it could be unlocked by something like mindfulness as you describe it, e- everything in the world could trigger it the you know maths could trigger it. heaven forbid you read it, an English, a book in English surely that would trigger it more.
1: Or, or looking at the news, reading the news or seeing the news on TV that that would surely trigger it.
0: James feels as though we're attacking him for uh, representing Dr. Burrows' work here. You did say you agreed with it. In part three, I'll save you. I spoke this week to Catherine O'Sullivan, who's the Pro Vice-Chancellor at Bond University on the Gold Coast. Bond has debuted Bond University College, an on-campus pathway program that brings together the existing university preparation and foundation programs, diplomas and English language courses all under the one big umbrella. It's a mixture of VET courses, pre-uni pathway courses, high school equivalency, language studies and other education elements on the penumbra of university. O'Sullivan talked at length about how students taking these courses would be sharing a campus and facilities with fully-fledged Bond university students. That means they're able to join the same clubs and sports teams and are effectively at uni if not studying a 100% university course. Cynics might call it an ersatz university, but more positive thinkers, O'Sullivan obviously among them, Think of this as similar initiatives as catering to a new type of individualised higher education student, one that's more heterogeneous than the homogenous 18-year-old going about their way that we, we're so familiar with. O'Sullivan said, There is a growing trend for school leavers and mature-age students to undertake foundation or diploma courses prior to commencing a bachelor's degree, reflected in the projection that by 2020, more than 20% of first university students will have completed a pathway program. These programs can be completed in two semesters of full-time study in the supported environment of Bond University College. Successful university preparation and foundation students are then guaranteed a place in the undergraduate degree of their choice, with the exception of medicine, while diploma graduates are eligible for entry into the third semester of the relevant bachelor program. Now when I spoke to to O'Sullivan, I asked her straight up if this was a response to all the negative press around VET. You know, instead of calling anything vet or vocational, throwing out all those words and sort of launching Bond University College. Now, she she was adamant that it wasn't. But even in their release, uh, there there's a mention of, you know, that they're creating these pathway programs in replace in place of what used to be called vet. So I do think that that might have been an element of it. But in reality, it's sort of like here's a private university that's trying to attract New students in a different way. They're trying to take kids that aren't actually ready for university or aren't actually accepted into university and sort of sneak them in the side door and uh, get them ready. Uh, and I think we're going to see more of these these popping up. James, you're an expert on higher education. Is this the future of, of Higher How Education diff- Australia?
2: How is this different from any other Pathways program every other university has? Well, it's, it's new-ish. <laughs> it's it launched this week. Bond university just finally caught up to the rest of the sector by the sound of it. The
0: uh, so so give us an example of, of what other universities doing Is it just exactly the same as every other place?
2: Um, pretty much, yeah. yeah. I have to yes. admit
0: that that I, I wasn't completely across this sort of these sort of programs. Mm. Is there anything is it is it new that these students are on campus can join the same clubs? Really, so
2: this is just no, a Clayton's degree. It's 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 just a, a it's a tried and true model of the pathways program which they have dressed up in a fancy press release, in my opinion. Um, Do you think it's interesting hmm. that she projects 20% of students who will be going through this? Um, That seems like a lot. That's a lot. Um, It makes sense, really, because we have a lot of students these days who aren't 18-year-olds fresh from school who have have a good ATA. A lot of students, well, when you're 18, you you don't always focus on your education, so you might screw up your high school. But then these pathway programs exist to get these people back into education once they grow a bit older and matured a bit.
0: Do you think that it helps with mature age students? You know, instead of joining uh, freshmen and sitting up the front asking questions, they can sort of get a feel mm. for university through these programs? Yeah,
2: it's useful, especially if they can um, interact with people of their own age or like them, because that's what everyone wants to do. But, and, and at, but at the same time, part of university is interacting with people who aren't like you and who don't agree with you as well. Sure. Lauren?
1: Um, I'm just... Well, I'm not really confused as to why they're doing it because they're a for-profit company. Mm. Actually, it's are... they're
0: actually not-for-profit. They're okay. just private. Okay, private. You know, O'Sullivan stressed private. that to me when we spoke on the phone.
1: Okay. Um, in any event, um, they are... Okay, they, they make some money out of this, assuming.
0: Well, I think they, they, they definitely make money out of it in that you have to pay or yeah. you can take it as a, as a student loan. But that money is always channeled back into the university in the same way that an rsl club is not for profit but it's all those poker machines as long as you keep reinvesting that money back into your core business rather than taking money out of it and you know putting it in your pocket you can maintain the uh, the not for profit uh rubric i'm not sure, I guess the, my I'm not is, sure the rsl my is the best example that. Well, well you know that yeah
2: leagues clubs are not for profit though yes and the boss is also pocketing money well no yeah. if it's what CEO is he got found out well, there, there are, there are always going
0: to be examples of shady business dealings, but for the most part, and I'm going to, uh, I don't want to tie the brushes of any licensed clubs that are listening to this, they pull the money back into the sports clubs and into the community. If done properly, yes. yes if done anyway, properly. My,
1: my point was that someone's getting paid. Yes. Someone in this organisation, this company, call it what you will, is getting paid. They have paid. lovely,
0: well-manicured campuses. That, that's they're great. Yeah, I, I'm probably. glad. Um, but is two, two
1: issues that I have with this. Um, number one, isn't there an oversupply of university graduates as it is? Number two, aren't universities already accepting people into courses who have below cut-off ATAR scores? So why is this needed if there are so many loopholes, so much oversupply? Do we really need this?
0: Well, I, your first point, I mean, there is definitely an oversupply and, and we definitely have a huge shortage of, of skills that are now deemed to be you know unfashionable like plumbing and carpentry where you can go and make a very good living in those certainly more than an arts graduate which i am because no one else does it and it's a necessary skill in our society that but i guess we we place such a huge uh social capital now on having a university degree that people feel less worthy or unworthy of society's uh you know the company of society unless they've got a degree mm.
1: but programs like this are going to devalue degrees even further
0: mm. I know that's sure. where the, the postgrad is the new undergrad
1: where, mm-hmm. how far can it go? will PhDs be irrelevant if they're not already?
0: <laughs> let's hope not guys do you have anything else you wanted to add? No, I'm good
1: I've said all my snarky comments
0: <laughs> Lauren I hope you enjoy the weekend James and I are about to go and patch things up yep <laughs> and we'll see you next time listeners
1: See ya.